Take your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. I want to read 8 all the way through verse 21. I want to make some comments about that. I want to talk about the five aspects of God's love. This, this was going to be this morning, and I was not allowed to do it then, but I, w- I was allowed to do it tonight, so I want to do the five aspects of love. I want you to, if you have a pen or a marker, and we go through this, uh, verses 8 through 21, I want you just to uh, mark the word love. Look for the word love. 1 John 4, 8. He that loveth, oh, there's one, right? He that loveth not knoweth not God. For God is love. And this was manifested the love of God toward us. Because God has, God for that, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that he might, that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to propitiation. That means to cover our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. That that is the face of God. If we know, if we love one another, there it is again, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he he hath given us of his spirit, capital S. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. We have seen and do testify. I like that. So in verse 15, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love, there it is again, that God has to us, God is love, there it is again, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If any man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? Well, that's good common sense. If you think it's hard to love me, you've got a problem. And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. Did you see all them? That is literally saturated. I counted 13 times in 23 verses. Or, or excuse me, I'm going to get this right. 
13 verses, and I counted 23 times. 23 times, there may actually be 24. I think I missed one. 23, 24 times in this short passage, he uses the same word for love. Now, he not, does not use eros. He does not use phileo. He uses agape. Agape is the highest form of love. It is a commitment love. It doesn't mean you have a lot of emotions. When you first get married, a lot of your marriage has eros love and phileo love. I like to be around her, and she makes me excited. Well, as you get married for a while, those two go away. And what lasts for 50, 60 years is agape. What agape is, is a commitment. I made a commitment at a justice of the peace in front of one witness in Greenwood, South Carolina, and God. And I said, I'm committed to this one woman in exclusion of all the other women in the world, you know I'm a risk taker. That was supposed to be funny. You guys are over serious tonight. But, I mean, you do. When you get married, doesn't God have a sense of humor? You get married at the dumbest time of your life. You get married when you're, you know, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 years old. That's the dumbest time of your life. You know as little as there is almost to survive. You almost don't know enough to how to survive. And yet you're choosing a life mate? God has a sense of humor. And then he says, you keep your commitment. You keep your commitment. You keep that agape love because if you're born from above, your love's going to be like my love. We're talking agape love here, right? I'm talking about agape love. Your, your phileo friendship love. What's a friendship love? If you, do, you like to be around somebody's presence. They make you feel good. And, and maybe you, by being around them, they feel good. That's a reciprocal love. But as soon as they don't feel good with you around, all of a sudden they, they'll find them to get invisible. They're not your friend. and They're not going to be your phileo friend anymore. It's based on reciprocation. And eros is, is a, a sexual love. That is what draws a male and female together. And, uh, and that has to be, God put that there. There's nothing wrong with that. As a married couple, you got to have that because you wouldn't have any children otherwise. And, and wives go into some sort of comatose thing where they want to have children, even though they, they suffer through that whole birth process tremendously as I watch it. And yet they want to have another one after that. And when they do the second one, they may suffer, suffer, suffer. Then they want to have another one after that. Well, that's eros, and that's, it's, it's something that comes over them. And God had to do that, or we would have died out long ago, long ago. And the human race must continue to move on and have children. It's interesting, even the heathen, even the unsaved people, Elon Musk, one of his, he says the biggest fear he has for mankind 
is depopulation. One of his biggest fears is depopulation. He said in, by 2050, the world will be depopulated massively. He probably got that right. Europe's already not replacing itself. United States, I'm not sure if we're replacing ourselves in the U.S. We may not be. And if you're not replacing yourself, you're dying. You're dying out. Now, people of gospel are doing a good job of replacing themselves for the most part. Barrows, as he's doing a hard, he's working at it. And Douglas and his wife working at it. They got four. And uh, Tom had four. And he replaced himself. And, you know, I, I'm sorry, but I'm part of the depopulation crowd. I had one child. And so is Mrs. Atto. She only had one child. We're, we're the depopulators. But uh, the Bauer family, they did really good. They did really good, I'll tell you what. Roseanne, God bless you. You really helped the world out. I think you had six children, didn't you? Yeah. Well, not, that, nothing like uh, Cotvass. Well, the Cotvass in Peru, he's, I think he's on 12, working on 12 right now. So uh, as missionaries, though, they got special, special, uh, they got, they're special. The Bible says here, God is love. He doesn't possess it, he is it. He is love, agape love. Aren't you glad he's committed to you? I mean, good, bad, or ugly, and, and all of them are included. Uh, good, bad, or ugly, God said, if you make a commitment, I make a commitment. For God so loved, that's that a commitment love. For God so loved the world, he committed himself to the world. In spite of, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He knew who you were before you got saved. Yet, his only begotten son paid the price for us, drank the cup for us. I have a sermon called The Seven Cups of Christ. I'm, I'm thinking about preaching it. Seven Cups of Christ. He said, may this cup pass from me. There was a lot of things he had to drink of. The basis of his very nature is love. It's a deep, deep, long-term commitment for someone's good. Though God loves and is love, he still will condemn the people that he has created to an everlasting conscience, torment, and hell if they refuse Jesus. This is not a wishy-washy, sentimental love, agape love. God, though he loves you and sent his only son for you to be saved, if you reject that, that very Jesus Christ who died on the cross was a judge of all the world, of the, of the quick and the dead, the alive and the dead, will, will be the judge at the throne on the great white throne judgment in Revelation chapter 20. And he will be the one to condemn those people and say, I never knew you, you workers of iniquity, depart from me, and they'll be cast into the lake of fire which is called the second death. So in case maybe you get an idea of this love, like a lot of people have a definition of God being love, that he just put up with anything, forgive anything, there's no rules, there's no justice on that. I've had people tell me, well, my Jesus, he don't mind if I, if I get a, you know, commit adultery. I've had somebody tell me, if I commit adultery, it's not a big deal. I had a young man tell me uh, once every six months or so, he went out and committed some fornication. And he said, and he was, he was supposed to be a dedicated born-again believer. And I collared him on that, and I said, I don't think you're saved. I, I think you're going to be shocked when you, go to, when, when you stand before Jesus. And he said, I don't know yet. 
You know me, but I don't know you. Because born-again people have agape love. You just read it. Why? Because your father has it, and you've been given it. Do not define God's love around your nature, around your experience, around your opinion, around what you think God would be like or should be like. I can't believe how many people judge God. And they say, you know, to judge somebody, you got to be above them, right? Does that make sense? So when you start judging God, you're putting yourself above God, more righteous than God, more knowing than God, more holy than God, and you're judging his actions is wrong. Woo, man, you got, you got a problem of ego if you do that. Don't do it. God's nature really and ultimately is not totally knowable. Isaiah 55, 8 says, 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And I get really upset with people saying, I believe God would do this, and I believe God would do that. The only way you can say that is if it's stated in the Bible. Then you can say, this is what it says, thus saith the Lord, this is the way God's going to do it. Otherwise, if you get into the gray areas and those areas that God doesn't speak about, be careful what you say God will do and what he won't do and how he will do it. Be very careful about that. Be very careful. As if you know God well enough to know what he would do, how he would do it. We know something of God by the Bible, no doubt. But we don't know everything about God by the Bible. No. We need to stop trying to box God into your viewpoint. Stop trying to compress him, you computer people. Stop trying to compress him into your little ideas of life. This is the way he's life. So this is the God that created the human body, the genes, the DNA, and the universe. He's complicated. He's a designer of everything that is. I can't put my mind around that. I mean, I know it's true, but I can't put my mind around it. But love is the basis of the fulfillment of the very law of Moses. One of the more interesting parts of Scripture, if you'll take your Bible or really think about writing it down, Matthew chapter 22, uh, verse 36 to 40 says, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Talk about the law of Moses. And Jesus said to him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbors thyself. And verse 40 is where I want to emphasize. Jesus said, On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Wow. Ten commandments, they hang on these two commandments. So what is the fulfillment of the law? Love. Now the same love here, same word is agape love, as you find in 1 John chapter 4. It's that commitment love uh, that he talks so many, so many 23 times in 13 verses. Jesus said in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. There's no excuse for you and me as born-again believers not being committed to each other. 
Now, if you're committed, I'm, if, if you really are committed like God is committed, then you're not going to lie to each other. You're not going to steal from each other. You're not going to harm each other. I mean, harm verbally. If possible, you're not going to harm somebody. You're not going to do evil towards them. But you're going to treat each other as you would want to be treated. Matthew 7, 11. Ha! That's a joke. I missed that one too. Boy, I'm really striking out. I've, uh, 7, 11. No, never mind. That's how I remember it. 7, 11. Basically says something like, do unto others you'd have them do unto you. That's called the golden rule. Do unto others you'd have them do unto you. Now, that can be tarnished by your misunderstanding of truth because everybody has a little different understanding of truth. And so it's, it's kind of running it through you. But generally speaking, you, you like yourself enough that you don't want to be mistreated. And so if he, Jesus said, do unto others you'd have them do unto you, he, it's a pretty safe bet that if you do follow that commandment, you're not going to do real bad things to people around you because you don't want people to do bad things to you. You don't want people to steal from you, lie to you, misuse you, talk about you on the way home. <laughs> people come to me and say, people are talking about me. And I said, at least you're important enough to be talked about. God have mercy. You should never be upset when people talk about you. Be happy that you're important enough to be talked about. Because you could be a zero that nobody ever mentions or ever talks about. So unimportant. Hey, when they talk bad about me, at least they're talking about me. You don't agree with that? That's perfectly fine. Talk about me on the way home. That's like people who always carry, carry their phone around and say, well, somebody may want to call me. You're not that important. Except if you're a veterinarian now, you are important if you're a vet because you got somebody, somebody may have an emergency on their pet. Now, a doctor don't have to carry a phone because, you know, you're in you know, their mind. What cements us together at Gospel Baptist Church is the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. And so we love, in some degree, and we are committed to each other in some degree like God committed to us. I love working with older people because, older people in Christ especially, because they have the love of God in them. They've lived long enough. They've gone through enough. that They're not trying to cut each other's throat. They don't have the ego to fulfill. It's just fun being around them. They can settle differences without being mean about it. Oh, that's a big one. Go home. Take that home. Settle differences without being mean about it. You don't have to be mean about it. You can agree to disagree without hating somebody. A lot of what keeps me going as a preacher in face of rejection and rudeness and cruelty and personal attacks, and that's just described the first year I was here. I'm going to tell you, it's no joy ride to be Put yourself up in front of a bunch of folks and say, thus saith the Lord, it's no joyride. Life can be tough. Life can be cruel. People can be mean as junkyard dogs. But it's a love of God that cements us together, even in the heat of battle. I forgive everybody. 
that speaks bad about me, that is ill, has ill feelings towards me, that hopes I die soon. Because Jesus has forgiven me. And I forgive as I want to be forgiven. I think that's Bible, amen. Forgive me my trespasses as I forgive others who trespass against me. So if you do me dirty, trust me, I'm going to let it go. I'm going to let it go. Now, when I was 30, I was having trouble with that, but not a 70. I'm getting real close to seeing Jesus. I want to do what's right, amen. I want to end well. I want to exercise this. So uh, anyway, I want to talk to you about five things. And did I mention I want to talk to you five things? Number one, God's love bonds us together. Beloved, if so, God is if God so loves us, we ought also love one another. We're bonded together by the love of God. That's what keeps unity. Point number two is God's love sacrifices. First John 4, 9, 10. It was manifest the love of God toward us because God sent his own only begotten son. The fact that he sacrificed his son for us tells, tells us the nature of this kind of love. This nature, nature of this kind of love, it bonds us. The nature of this kind of love, it sacrifices one for another. In a small way, I suppose, every parent that has ever sent a son into, into the jaws of war understands in some degree this kind of love. There was a woman, I don't know what war it was, was it the McDonald family that lost all five sons? Sullivan family lost all five sons in war. Nobody should do that. Nobody should have. That's a sacrifice beyond, beyond belief. There was a law made in the military after that that they couldn't have all kids in danger. If your kids, if you enlisted all your children, so some of them had to be brought back in a safer environment so they weren't killed. The man, somebody that gives a child in Vietnam, where well, I was raised up during the war of Vietnam, and my a couple of my high school buddies, Bloom and Sigsby, and I love them guys. I mean, they were, and you know, it's, and they went off to Vietnam the first week, they got killed, both of them. Went to their funerals when they came back. I thought about their moms and dads, knew their moms and dads pretty well, and I thought about the grief of 18-year-old boy going over there and dying. They raised that kid, you know, up, and a parent in some degree understands what it is to sacrifice a child, or at least potentially sacrifice a child. Imagine God the Father and God the Son. We can't really put our head around it. No one has ever said this better or explained love better, I think, than C.S. Lewis says. He says, to love it all is to be vulnerable. I don't know about you, but I don't like to be vulnerable. I do not like to be vulnerable. I don't like the feeling of vulnerability. But you are vulnerable, whether you really like it or not. Love anything in your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. I want to mention that to you. Don't even give it to an animal. Wrap it carefully around the hobbies and luxuries. Uh, avoid all entanglements. Lock your heart up in a safe, in a casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, and airless, your heart will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. 
If you want to love, you're going to be vulnerable and it, very likely you're going to be broken. And the Lord Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, you see his being brokenness. Why? Because he loved us and gave himself for us. And we are expected, because he loved us, to do the same. We love bus kids. We love school kids. We love neighborhoods. We, 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 we go out on the beach on, on Easter. We, we go into nursing homes. We love old people. We want them to all get saved. No crisis or Savior, man. That's love. That's what it amounts to. God the Father's. Uh, it's been said the only place outside heaven where you can perfectly be safe from the dangers of love is hell. That's the only place where there'll be no love in hell, and that's going to in large part make it what it is. God the Father's love pushed him to give because God is love. The third thing love does, first thing it does, it bonds. The second thing it does is sacrifice. All this comes out of the passage we read. The third thing it does, it endures. Verses 16, 17. And we know and believe the love of God has had toward us. God is love, and it dwelleth in love, dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so we, so are we in this world. We have the same nature. We end up having the ability through the Holy Spirit to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. If the first time somebody says something wrong to you or doesn't shake your hand or maybe says something sharp to you in the local church and the first time or second time or even third time, you just say, I'm done with the local church. I'm done with what God has in that thing because these people aren't nice people. You, What kind of love do you have? That's not agape love. Agape love endures hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, amen? As a preacher, you'd never make it. If, if, if you could be knocked off by, by people being mean or people being sarcastic or people saying uh, bad things to you, you got, you got to say, by the grace of God, this is just part of the process that God has. He endured for me and I'm going to endure for him. I love God's people. I don't like them, but I love them. You don't phileo God's people. You don't have to like everybody at Gospel Baptist Church, but you and I are commanded to love each other. How can you command love? Well, that's how, because it's not emotions. It's not about emotions. It's a commitment. God says love each other. Shut up and do what you're supposed to do. Love your wife. Love your husband. I know some of you wives are having trouble with your husbands? You picked them. I didn't know you got the love of God in you. You endure. You last. You cannot do otherwise. Why? Because it's the love of God. I don't have page eight. I don't have page eight, folks. Page 8, page 8, I'll page 8. I'm in page 7, I no, page 8. You say, Brother Bill, don't you have this memorized? Sure, sure I do. The love of God drives you heav heavenward, brother. It stimulates you to go upward. 
So in first of all, love bonds. Secondly, love sacrifice. Thirdly, love endures. Fourthly, God's love endeavors. It endeavors with us. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in, in, in him and he in God. If we love God, we have his love in us and we endeavor to obey him. It causes us to want to obey him. Uh, Jesus said in John 14, 15, he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, folks, that's, that shows you how simply plain this kind of love is. If you love me, do what I say. So husbands, you can go to your wife after church is over and say, honey, when I tell you to do something, I just want you to do it. And she's going to say, absolutely, because I love you. That'll make a feminist have a stroke. You say, I'm not a feminist. Why are you upset? When my wife comes to me and says, Bill, I wanted this, you know, and she comes up with all kinds of requests. I, I want to be able to have them accomplish if possible. I mean, I'm the head. I'm supposed to make the thing go. But nevertheless, I want to be, I always have said my wife's probably the most free woman at Gospel Baptist, but she's one of the most submissive women, possibly one of the most submissive women at Gospel Baptist. She is for me in every way you can be for somebody. She's even willing to endure hardness as a good soldier, Jesus Christ. Amen? She endeavors to obey what I ask her to do. Why? Because she loves me. You can't have anarchy in your home. You can't have anarchy. There cannot be two masters. There can only be one master. And I'm sorry, but that God made the man the head of the house, right? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he's the head of the woman, as Christ is the head of the church. That doesn't mean lower, it just means different. just means different. In some ways, we men would love to trade with you. In some cases, they actually do. We call that an upside-down home. And that's not a good home when a woman's running it. It's not God's way. You say, well, Brother Bill, it works pretty good. Well, it's just not God's way. And you know, if you love God, you endeavor to obey God. I just want to do it God's way. I don't have to understand it. I don't have to know all the ins and outs of why. If I believe God is who he said he is, then I just trust him enough to say, if this is the way you got it planned out, then I'm going with it. Why? Because I love God. I love him. Number five, and lastly, God's love enlists. Verse 14, 1 John 4. We have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. The key word is do testify. Each of us is a living witness of the reality and power of God. Amen? We can do the, we can do the will of God. Now I've lost page nine. I'm having me some trouble up here tonight, boy. I'm having me some trouble. This must be good. But we're, we live as, as 
How does God show his love to the world? Through you. People see your marriage last. They see you overcome disagreements. They see you overcome resistance. They see you go 50, 60 years married and, and, and actually enjoy it, not endure it. I mean, I think, I think God will honor you if you have to endure your marriage, but it would be a, be a whole lot better if you could enjoy your marriage by the grace of God. I mean, my wife and I have a choice. We can either enjoy each other's company or hate each other's company. I would just rather enjoy it than hate it. I'd rather, I'd rather have the love of God in me to such a way that uh, it, it helped her to love me. It made it easier for her to love me through a, through a commitment love. And that doesn't mean giving her her way all the time, which some people may. Every recovered drunk in Christ is a testimony which enlists others to be saved. Every reformed immoral person enlists people. Every reformed drug addict by cause of Christ enlists other people into the cause of Christ. Every former liar that gets becomes an honest person the tra- in other words, what I'm trying to say is the transforming power of God, the love of God comes in and saves us and transforms us into his image, and that is attractive for the world. For who can they trust? Divorce is six out of ten. Who can they trust? I think why people aren't getting married like they once used to is because there's been so much failure in the area of marriage. The young people are afraid. I mean, Chris, I talked to him a while back, and he said he knew two or three friends of his already out of college have been married and divorced already. He's only 29 years old. You're going to be 30 next year? That's a big one, man. We're going to have black ties, black balloons, a whole bit. But over 30 years old, that's a shame, isn't it? Already divorced at 30. And so they look at that and say, well, man, this... Marriage is failing all on my right hand and on my left. But if you will come to Jesus by the grace of God, have mercy on your soul, be legitimate with him and honest with him and transparent with him, he can cause his love to permeate you. And that will be attractive to a mate, whether male or female or female or male. Either one, it will be a mate and it will cause them to be help, help them to stick with you by the grace of God to the end. Now, hey, my life's not over. My life's not over. I'm 70 years old. I'm not up here bragging about how I'm going to stay married until death do us part. You don't hear me saying that. I just had an 80-year-old call me a few months ago and told me his wife's filing for divorce. Hello? What in the world are you getting a divorce at 84? You don't have that much more to go. He said, I know it, preacher. I can't believe it. I tried talking her out of it, but she said she just can't stand me anymore. I said, at 80 years old? That hurts my feelings. That, that hurts my feelings. So, I, so then I immediately started flooding him with guilt so that he could flood her with guilt. What about your grandchildren? What are they going to think? What about your children? What are they going to think? What about your great-grandchildren? What are they going to think? Because they are watching, real closely watching you, how you end. 
Oh, nobody cares about me. Oh, they care about you. And people that know you care about you. They want you to end well. Listen, how can we encourage families like Barrows and Marin and some of these other people to stay married the rest of their life? By staying married our whole life. By living for Jesus. By having the love of God permeate us. By his sweet mercy. God is love and it must manifest itself if we are part of him. Because love never faileth. I like in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And now abideth faith, hope, and charity. These three, they're good. Faith, hope, charity. The greatest of these is charity. The word charity there is agape love. So don't tell me about how great a Christian you are if you're not committed. You ask God. You may have, oh, I love Jesus, and then not obey him. You don't love him. If you're committed to him and his kingdom, making it first in your life, he said, all these other things I'll add to you. You don't have to worry about all that. You make me number one, and I'll add all this other stuff to you. And the only reason, by the grace of God, that I've been married 51 years is not because of my wonderful personality or my, my agreeableness. Boy, that's an oxymoron. It's because of Jesus. And when I get to heaven, all glory, all glory goes to Jesus, who is love, the God of all that is, the God of love. Father, help us tonight in some way to re-look at this whole thing of love and that we would desire to have these characteristics in our lives. Lord God, do a great and mighty work among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.